Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on cool guests to talk about something cool that they're working on. And today's cool guest is Wade Dyer. And we're going to be talking about Fragged Empire Second Edition. It's the latest sci-fi iteration of Wade's Frag system. This game is gorgeous, intentionally designed, and asking to be played. So, I always also forget, I always forget to introduce myself, but listeners, you know who it is. It's Tom. All right. So Wade, thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Uh, uh, no problem. I was telling you a little bit before we started recording that, uh, yeah, no, there are so many great games. We talked about this. I never heard of Fragged Empire. People in our discord were like, Hey, this is a cool game that's on Kickstarter right now. And I was like, I was like, what is this game? So I started looking at it. I was like, hey, this is cool. It's got cool art. It looks like it's designed intentionally. Hey, they have a hex map. Okay. So, <laughs> that's, that's right. I've got to get your attention with my pretty pictures. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, it's funny. We'll talk about pretty pictures, but it is such a, it's like you're, it's always what baits the, uh, the everybody in the RPGs for better or worse. It's necessary. <laughs> there, there, there's something like um, two different takes on it. So I'm going in design thinking at yes. the moment. So the, the cynical thing is the idea that we just use pretty pictures to get your attention, to trick you into buying it. Yep. The, the, uh, the more positive spin on it is visuals are really quick and easy to digest. You can do it instantly. And the hope is that you'll see the quality that we put into our visuals and assume that the other elements that take longer to digest have just as much love and care put forward. So you pick which one of those you think it is. I'm going the latter. I like the second one. I think you can do a lot. You can do a lot with pictures. So before we talk about too much about pictures, all right, because there's flow charts and all sorts of other stuff I want to talk about. All right, but who is, who is, who's Wade? All right, so tell us, who is Wade? Uh, and how did you get into RPGs? Okay, wow. Okay, big question here. Yeah. So how did I get into RPGs? So I'm 30-year-old um, Australian at the moment. Uh, back, I got into RPGs back when I was a teenager. And that was, I was over at some friends' places and they started playing this thing called D&D. A bunch of long-haired men came over to play games with teenagers and I thought well this is a bit weird <laughs> um and uh one of them wasn't like they, they gave me a dwarf to control and they basically told me hide behind a rock and don't do anything so it okay. was a terrible first session but I just got to listen in where they like encountered a drake and they they, they thought it was a drake and it turned out to be a dragon and they convinced to be friends and I thought wow this is amazing um, but the slightly more difficult part of this story is that my, my family were recently became Christians mm-hmm. and the satanic panic thing was still vibing with my family. And so my dad was quite concerned by this and I, and I got in trouble, um, and I ended up getting grounded <laughs> and stuff like this. And then we ended up wanting to play RPGs, but I didn't want to play deep, but wasn't able to play Dungeons and Dragons. So I played other games, mainly Heroes, Champions, okay. uh, which is actually a game system, despite playing it for like a decade and through my formative RPG years, I do not recommend. But anyway, it's, it's good for what it does. Um, and then eventually, you know, my, my family calmed down and then um, I moved from the country to the city um, back when I was in my 20s um, for work prospects and the hope of finding a girl and just getting out of the, you know, the hometown sort of thing. And I wanted to do something useful with my spare time rather than just play computer games. I thought, you know what? I used to do this RPG thing and I really like game design. So I started making my own RPG. I started off with a fantasy one and then I tried a sci-fi one. The sci-fi one seemed to resonate and it was just a passion project. And I ended up was a bit of a fan of Kickstarter um, and it came to Australia and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. So I thought I would just do some vanity project, some big book that the Kickstarter will probably only cover, you know, the printing of it. But I thought maybe one day I'll be an old man. I'll be able to point at this book and say, oh, I made that when I was a young fella. <laughs> and uh, that, that'd be it. But the Kickstarter went really well. And I asked for 15K and got over 100K and ended up quitting my job as a graphic designer 
um, and I was also doing some youth work at that time. And then eight years later, here I am, like 10 plus books later, whatever it is I've made, I've kind of lost count. I'm now doing my second edition. And uh, yeah. Okay. So no, no. All right. So this was, you said like, what, eight years ago, you did your first one? Mm, yeah. Was that Fragged? Was that? that yeah, was yeah. That was Fragged Empire first edition. Okay. So then, yep. all right. So eight years, all right, from Fragged Empire first edition to second edition. So what was in between? Have, have you always just, has this, has Fragged been like your baby? What has come from Fragged Empire up until second edition? What, what filled wow, that gap? Lots, lots of stuff. So I, I've done multiple iterations of the rules with different settings. So I did Frag Seas was my pirate one, which is basically Pirates of the Caribbean meets Call of Cthulhu. Okay. And then I did a uh, fantasy one, Frag Kingdom, which is technically set in the same universe as Fragged Empire, but everyone's sort of technologically devolved and now science is magic. You know, a mage thinks they're casting a frost spell, but they're throwing a vial of cryogenic fluid or, you know, they're doing a, a fireball and they're throwing a potion of like a rocket fuel or something like that. So that's, that's my fantasy one. Um, and then I did a gothic horror, very Soulsborne sort of okay. style one. This one was more experimental, so it's called Frag Turnum, where the players play as immortal gothic superheroes fighting fiends, these kind of big demonic beasts sort of thing. And in this, in that one, GMs are explicitly told, hold nothing back, try to kill your player characters. Um, and so then I did that one. Um, so those are my printed ones. And I did some expansions for those. I've also done a bunch of small PDF only ones. I've done uh, Diesel Punk Mecha. I've done Cyberpunk. I've done a more classic fantasy one, like with orcs and elves and things like that. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a little bit. Uh, am I allowed to use the word prolific? I've been doing a lot of books at a pretty high production rate. So yeah, you can no no no. I, I that's why I tell people just you know what if you feel like you got it, you just gotta say it. All right. So but you did all these great things, but then you came back to Fragged mm. Empire. All right. So. All right. I'm trying to think about, usually I ask people what the elevator pitch is for their game. All right. But because you've come back to Fragged Empire, I guess the question for you then is tell us what makes Fragged Empire so special then? Yeah. Okay. So Fragged Empires has always been my baby, my firstborn, my flagship product for my company, different ways you can look at it. I think the thing with Fragged Empire that really made it resonate with me, apart from it just being my first one um, and the one I put the most thought in over the longest period of time, I think there's something special about it. I think the setting, so it's a post-apocalyptic post setting, dawn of a new era sort of age. Um, it has a really big focus on cultural tension and it's kind of this, I don't know, like I'm very, very proud of the law. I think the very deep lore, engaging lore that sort of tries to be a bit emotionally clever um, okay. and a bit philosophically, got a little bit of philosophical robustness to the different cultures. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of proud of it. Like, yeah. So tell us then about the, like, what is the world of Fragged Empire then? This, this lore that you're so proud of, can you distill it <laughs> down to tell us like, what is this this universe about okay well maybe I, might, I could probably just try and read you a little bit of my uh my my, my sales blurbs this is okay, right at the front of the book okay so so your genetically engineered people are just now returning to the stars to usher in the dawn of a new age now is the time to reconnect with other forgotten species explore war-torn worlds combat ancient threats and forge new frontiers um yeah, so that, that's like the super, super short. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so then, okay, so I want to ask you this because I saw something about the game when I was reading your, through your Kickstarter. So mm -hmm. there's obviously humanoid creatures and stuff, but yep. do humans exist within Fragged Empire? Yeah, so the idea with humans is that humans actually died out. So okay. humans reached this um, electronic-based technology singularity, which is the philosophical idea 
of science of their scientific tech getting so advanced that it sort of uh, borderlines on magic. But then humans kind of stagnated. They fragmented. They stopped being able to run the things that they built, and they stopped growing and advancing. They'd stop. They'd isolated themselves, and you know, plugging themselves up to perpetual entertainment machines. They rotted. Uh, but not just socially rotted, they also suffered um, from, uh, oh, man, mental blank, uh, with their, their lack of biodiversity in their genomes. Yeah. Uh, genetic erosion, that's okay. it. Um, and they ended up uh, wasting away, but not before a particular faction engineered a, a new species to replace humans called the Archons. And the Archons, unlike the humans, they didn't want to walk in the same footsteps of electronics and exploration. Instead, they became obsessed with the nature of their own creation and they became fixated on creating the perfect species. So they genetically engineered lots of different species and they were terrible parents, heaping their love and praise upon some and rejecting and neglecting others. Anyway, long story short, there's a big galactic war and... The setting starts 100 years after that war. Archons are dead. Um, and these species are just now, went through 100 years of Mad Max craziness. And now they're just now re-emerging back into space and reconnecting with each other. So the different species have their genetic roots in humanity. It's, it's kind of one of those unknown questions whether true aliens exist or not. Um, uh, and yeah. Okay. This, I, I, this is my answer for why all of the different playable species are bipedal with two arms and two legs and kind of humanish, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's a, that, yeah, no, that's something, that's a, that's an interesting thought. Uh, and I've, it's, and I, side tangent now, side tangent. So I've been, um, uh, I've been currently reading the new, um, the new Andy Weir book, um, mm-hmm. Project Hail Mary, the same person who wrote The Martian. And there's this whole idea of like humanity and aliens and why are aliens over here and why are humans over here? And are they actually just the same and different genetic diversions mm-hmm. of themselves? So no, I think that's super cool. And one of the things that I really wanted to kind of <coughs> get to here is, so yes, you say it's post-apocalyptic and it is post-apocalyptic. Post, I think post-apocalyptic. Post, post-apocalyptic. Okay. <laughs> that's Just, right. <laughs> yeah. So these, the whole idea, because you mentioned this Mad Max thing, but that's not to me what the game is. I don't think you would say that. That, But is there a genre that you would say that this type of sci-fi that this falls into? All right. Because oh, me, man. me, me, I'm saying just me as the viewer looking at it. I would say it's uh, it's almost like space opera, but you could go a hundred different ways with this. So where would you say it falls? On yeah, okay. So look, I, I think in essence, the setting is, I would say, technically space opera, um, sci-fi fantasy, okay? But it tries to buck those, um, the cages and the restraints of those classifications a little bit. So for example... Um, Yes, it is space opera, but it's designed for an RPG. And in an RPG is designed to have multiple different types of stories. A classic story, uh, like a classic campaign, the expectation is that you're actually a ragtag band of misfits flying around in a spaceship, getting into trouble and doing odd jobs. You know, Firefly-like or um, Farscape or the Millennium Falcon scenes from Star Wars. You know, that kind of... that. The game is expected to be that. Yes, there's grand politics going on. There's a deep history. There's all sorts of other stuff. But the expectation is a game like that. Um, But it's also flexible enough that you could tell a Star Trek type story of exploration. You could do a 40K kind of Space Marines bug hunt type thing. You could do like a gothic noir detective where all the players are in trench coats and have pistols you know and all they have is a pistol for the entire campaign like it's it's a very robust rule system and the law is has enough crevices cracks valleys niches little segments to be able to tell lots of different types of stories okay yeah so this actually leads indirectly into one of my questions here is so 
you mentioned that they're kind of like that kind of the expectation that you had as the designer was that people they have it's a crew with their ship flying around exploring so i wanted to ask then so what sort of characters are players playing like they sit down what is the character that they they're going to be playing what's that expectation there okay so the 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 system itself is a classless system and it's very flexible in terms of like people effectively building their characters through traits every level up you get a trait and that defines part of the nature of your character and then you can build your guns and equipment and stuff like that so there's sort of this expectation that characters can also fight but also all have a vocation of some sort so it's it's but I think the primary question you can ask yourself is when you're making a character, so you sit down, making a character, step one is what is your species? Okay, so are you a corporate? Are you a Kaltoran, a four-eight Kaltoran with genetic memories? Are you a big muscular legion, you know, who's doomed to be a mercenary? Um, or are you a monstrous Nephilim who was one of the species who waged war on everyone else and won 100 years ago? Um, argue a robotic palator with a digitized human mind inside your head. Are you a resurrected um, feline remnant who, you know, was raised by raised from the dead from a god? Are you a Twyfar who's who is has an energy alien being, possibly alien, living inside your bodies? So you're two people in one, you know, or are you a Zhao, which is a giant goo? bioweapon that sort of made itself humanoid just so people don't freak out when they see you you know it's that sort of question is sort of step one and then is okay how do you fit into that society are you a conformist or a rebel what's trait you got what equipment you've got what are your dreams and goals and aspirations and yeah (laughs) okay there there are i i love all the different uh species concepts you have there, so I, I ask you then, all right, because my, I probably might, I really do love these, this, these cat creatures. What do you say those, what, what are those ones called? So they're the remnant. The remnant, they're, it is so cool. Like this, this lion man, man person, it's <laughs> just super cool. So we, I guess you then, which one is your favorite? I know you've, you like, <sighs> you got to, I love asking designers. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So which one's your favorite? Look. I think if you had have asked me a year ago or a year and a half ago, I would have said Kaltoran. Okay. Um, so they are these dreadlocked, four-reared people with genetic memories, but uh, they're kind of all struggling with PTSD because they can remember the horrible things their ancestors did to survive the war, like cannibalism and stuff like that. They're all about family, lots of trench coats, vests, and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that sort of space roads in a way. Okay. Um, like they, I think would probably be my favorite. Uh, but I think as I've worked on second edition, I think my, my appreciation is starting to spread. I think I'm really particularly proud of the corporation. I think mega corp super capitalists are so easy to cliche make evil. And I think I've added a lot of depth to them to make them quite interesting. Uh, and I've also... Oh, man, yeah, I, 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 I kind of flick around a little bit, but I think Kaltorans would be my favorite. Okay, no, that's okay. I, I mean, I, there's a lot that I like. I really, I really dug the the Palantor too. Like, mm-hmm. how you say them? Those. Yep, that's it, Palantor. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> so I then have to ask you then. So, what sort of if you were to think about like the perfect game, a Fragged mm-hmm. Empire Second Edition, mm-hmm. what feeling? are you trying to evoke at the table? What does that perfect game look like? Oh, I think a perfect, okay, so a perfect session. Yeah. I think a perfect session would be um, a bunch of players, everyone's different species on this ragtag junky spaceship, and they're going to do some sort of mission to get some loot. Cliche, normal stuff. But I think the things that I would find the most fun is if the players really started to embrace the culture and the psychology of their character and having that affect how they relate to each other. Like maybe 
like the Legion and the Nephilim having fights or the corporate and the Keltor, like the corporates having a go at the Keltorans calling them four ears and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. But that little bickering. But then as the campaign, as the session goes on, they kind of drawn into this unlikely friendship where they gain respect for each other. Um, and then I, I think that kind of stuff, like something that really embodied the cultural tension and pushing beyond um, expectations and prejudices, but then also understanding why those prejudices are there. You know, the Legion hate the hate the le- the Nephilim because the Nephilim killed everybody, like yeah. massive, massive billions upon billions of people. And so there is this fear and caution that should come with them. But then the Nephilim, maybe they're smart enough that they realize they've got to be more than monsters. And so they're trying to think their way out of this conundrum that they're in. How do they, they might be a monster full of teeth and claws, but how does that person exist beyond that and become a cohesive part of a larger culture that leads to a more prosperous future? So, yeah, it definitely sounds like you put a lot of thought then into the the interspecies relationship. So it's obviously with it being classless, would you then say like the species, this is kind of what then defines your character then? Yeah, I think so. I think the species is probably one of the biggest defining things. Um, And like, and that could be because you're conforming to expectations, like maybe you're a legion and you do go the tank. You're big and tough, wear big armor, big gun, fine. Or maybe you're a legion who's bucking the normal and you're like, well, I want to be a scientist, you know? And they're trying to, and they keep getting mocked by other legion because they're so weak and frail and doing head things, you know? Yeah, I think that works really great then with the classless system. And I think yeah. I, I've, I've definitely started to become uh, a big fan of the classless system because I can build what I want. And it's mm. funny that I say that I talk, we talk about this all the time in our discord. I am, I really do. What I like is I like rules, light RPGs for playing, but when it comes to like character creation, I like classless systems because I feel like I can really do like system mastery. It's this weird dichotomy that I have, but yeah, yeah. I, I like, I like that. So then let's talk about then the, the rules about tracks. All right. So yeah, this is, all right. We've talked a lot about the, the, the lore and design, but a lot of people want to know. What is the what's the mechanics here with Fract? Okay, so with the mechanics of Fract, like um, I normally direct people. Okay, so it's a medium crunch game, classless. Okay, okay. Um, and I usually direct people have a look at the character sheet, and you'll you'll get an idea for what type of game it is. Um, so I, I usually like to pull out a few elements. So. Firstly, I think is the core resolution mechanic. I think this is the, one of the most important things basically for any RPG system. And so mine is, um, so let's say you're making a skill roll to do something, the GM sets the scene, then the player says, okay, well, here's how I'm going to approach it and here's the skill I want to use. And they roll 3d6, they add a bonus, might be plus two to mechanics, and they're trying to get a target number 12 or 14. Pretty straightforward. But... If, if any of those die rolls are a six, that's called a strong hit, and they can do something special. So the default one is being able to, is called effort, and you can use that six to re-roll another die. But let's say you're a psychic and you're talking to someone, I might use that six to pluck the surface thoughts from that someone's mind. Or in combat, I might have a flamethrower, and I decide, okay, do I want to spend this six on melting someone's armor or setting them on fire? And so that's kind of the spice comes from that six. Um, and that's, that's it in a nutshell, like super boiled down. Um, in terms of gameplay, you know, the combat is kind of XCOM-y style. So it very much lends itself to minis on a map, you know, taking cover, using grenades and pistols and stuff like that. Um, you get two actions per turn. And then outside of that, you've got normal skill rolls, which everyone, I think everyone kind of gets, but then you've got an extra system called acquisition roles. And this is because this is the game has a whole system for downtime. Each session, your player gets a spare time point and you can just build these up. So let's say you're, you know, fighting for a few sessions and then you have a shopping, a shopping session. You can spend all of these spare times during that one session if you want. And the way that you do this is you say, oh, I wish to 
research something. I wish to buy some trade goods. I want to heal my character or modify my gun. You know, the little miscellaneous things. And a target number is set. You make a skill roll. You spend a spare time point, And this spare time point's gone whether you succeed or fail. And you make the roll. And if you succeed, you get that thing. And so there is this element of the game, like, yes, there's minis on a map and a combat element to it. But it's also a game that greatly wants to encourage people's characters' vocations. What are you? What do you do during your downtime? So this could be, this is quite a flexible system. So if you're a scientist, that's easy. You probably research. If you're a merchant, you probably buy trade goods. Or if you're a soldier, you might actually like be studying martial arts or exercising. Like maybe that's what you do with your downtime. Um, yeah. So I got to ask you then. So there are, you put a lot of thought, I could tell, all right, into, because I went through and I, I was browsing through the quick start rules that you have on your website. Um, and Oh, man, that would have been first edition quick okay, start Okay, so rules. yeah, so I understand things are definitely changed. So I wanted to ask you then specifically about that then. The, there, you, in those rules, there was a lot of thought that was put into the grid-based combat system, all right? Mm -hmm. So has that, has that changed? All right, How's, how is this... Has this changed? All right. The reason I want to ask you this, all right, mm -hmm. is because I personally, personal preference, I don't like grid-based combat systems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how can I play Fract without a grid? <laughs> and I think that's a very fair question. Um, I think so in Fragged Empire, like, yes, the rules are a lot neater and cleaner in second edition, first edition, just so much more accessible. Okay. Yeah. I think first edition was unne unnecessarily cluttered, in my opinion. Um, but in second edition, there's two types of, there's three types of combat, really. Okay. okay. So there's space combat and personal combat. Um, but the extra type is just a minor combat. So if something's a minor fight, like, let's say you're just having, you know, a bar brawl or you're just running down the street trying to not get hit by a sniper where the outcome is guaranteed um, is it's just sort of how, how much is it going to cost you to succeed in that. GMs are encouraged to resolve such fights with simple skill rolls. You roll dice and if you fail, you take some damage until a certain number of successes and then you just, the GM narratively explains how this was a success. So that's for minor fights. More complicated fights are encouraged for minis on a battle map. I do think you lose something when you don't have that. Um, if you are an experienced gaming group, um, you can do minis, not like you can do combat without minis on a battle map, but it's greatly encouraged that you be more flexible with distances and movements and stuff like that. Um, and this is, this is something that I think, as I've made so many different versions of Fragged, I found I really want to pick what it does well and do that really well. Okay. And I'm aware that this is not a narrative rules-like game. I think yep. there's a lot of other game systems out there that do that fantastic. And if you want to take the frag setting and then adapt it to a new, one of those rule systems, I think that would work. But I've decided to not do that with the rules. I thought frag knows what it is. It knows who it appeals to. And I want to do that well. Um, and yes, second edition is a lot more accessible and a lot cleaner than first edition, but it still is what it is. I'm real. That's okay. So I'm really glad you gave me that answer because I much prefer when, uh, you, when somebody doesn't try to fit every box or check every box and knows what they, what their system does well. So, and sticks with it. So I think that's good. So I, but you did say something that's interesting. So were you saying then that the, when it comes to what makes the grid then, what, what makes the grid to you so like pivotal for, mm -hmm. for the uh, frag system? Because did you say, did I catch, catch you wrong? Did you say that you encourage people to be a little bit more loose with the movement? I, I think if you're not going to use a grid and just do it in your head, if you're an experienced gaming group, that would work, but I encourage you to be loose with the movement if that's the case. Okay. Um, but if you are going to play it as intended with a grid, um, there's specific, you move this amount, like let's say you do a, a reposition action, you move this many spaces, you do a snapshot action, you move this many spaces, you do a sighted shot, 
you don't move at all. So, and uh, that's much more specific. Like it's designed to reward. I want players to look at this, this combat a bit like a puzzle um, in that they can slowly enjoy the frag systems and as they play with it, unlock the tumblers, you know, for that, that extra layer of depth that rewards them uh, mentally and creatively when playing the game. So, okay, so basically the more they, they do it, they're encouraged to play with the rules then. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I hope that answered the question. I mean, no, you know, I was kind of sort of described the, the feel I was going for. It's sort of, it's, it's very XCOM-styled combat. Like, it's designed to be tactical. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I think that's cool. I mean, um, yeah, the, so speaking of, so with the maps then, is this yeah. then, the system is obviously, you've designed it to be with maps then. So with the, this new second edition, are, will you be including these different grid maps? Will there be maps available for people to use within their sessions then? Um, so in the rule book, I've got a bunch of sort of examples, you know, here's what a combat might look like. And in the GM guide, I've got some sections, but oh yeah, here's how to sort of treat the different, you know, if you've got poison or cover or nighttime and stuff like that. And in the Kickstarter, I've paired up with a virtual tabletop map maker called Miska. And he's provided a bunch of sci-fi maps for me, plus made get some custom ones for Fragged as well. And these are just intended to sort of inspire, inspire GDM, sort of throw some, the term that I like to use is sort of getting logs put onto their creativity because I want the GMs to be able to make any map that fits the story that they're telling. Okay. No, that's, yeah. okay. So, I, so there is one type of map that I absolutely love. All right, and I think this is a this is another portion of Fragged is the I saw a hex map. All right, so <laughs> all right, so on the Kickstarter. All right, and then yeah. in the Kickstarter, you mentioned this whole idea of exploration. All right, mm-hmm. so all right, is there is there a hex crawl element to this game? Uh, <laughs> so the way that it works is so the two big elements of like um, two of the big elements in Fragged law that I'm wanting to encourage is one is the cultural tension, which we've explored. The other one is exploration. And so I've done this giant, big, beautiful sci-fi map full of lots of different stars with hexes and stuff like that that people can move. It's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. I'm I'm very (laughs) proud of that map. Sci-fi maps are damn hard to make. I miss fantasy ones where I just get some stained paper and, you know, draw on it. Um, And in the rules, so there's encouragement for like, traveling and exploration and i've got some roll charts so gms can make up random systems where they roll on it and say well here's the type of star that this one has you know it's a blue binary you know pulsar um or here's an example world all of a sudden you know you roll on the chart okay it's not actually a world it's a giant monster you know and then stuff like that so there's, there's, there's a lot of that sort of exploration stuff is encouraged and I've purposefully not labeled what's on all of those stars because I want GMs to come up with that in your own campaign. No one knows what's around the corners. I love that. I So I personally, I run sandbox games like exclusively now. And mm-hmm. me and my players, we just love it because as the GM, I don't know what's out there. They don't know what's out there. And we get to make it together. And it feels way more collaborative. So that's my yeah, I, part. I, I, I love I, it. I did that a couple of campaigns ago. I had the players doing this exploration thing. And every time they turned up to a new system, we would roll on the charts and find out what it was. And I found that as a GM really exciting because I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's around the corner. And that led to some very, very fun games and very unexpected outcomes. Yeah. No. So then, all right. So big hex map. All right. So this kind of leads me into my next question here. All right. So this game is, I'm, tr- the, the, I'm trying to find the right words to describe it. It is the design quality with this game is very high in the sense that you are using, you're using uh, your font choice is very good, all right? Your use of white space is very good. So where does this come from? Yeah. Um- 
this comes from the fact that I'm a craft designer by trade. Okay. Um, and I think the reason why my game feels different to a lot of other ones, especially indie ones, is in my experience, most RPG designers actually come from a literary background in that they're like budding authors, they're writers. And so they often will lean first with that. Whereas my foot first that I put forward is because I'm a visual creative person, married to a fine artist. I used to be an illustrator. I did graphic design as a job for a long time, did that at uni. And so therefore my stuff is very, very beautiful to look at. Lots of icons, lots of white space, you know, um, very visually engaging and rich. So, so, all right. So, one of my big complaints, and I talk we do in our review series, I always talk about this: how so many games cannot present information in an easy in an easy to digest manner. All right, so I need to ask you this because in those 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 quick start rules that our first edition, we will now practice. All right, <laughs> you gotta embarrass me. I'm like, damn it, how is no. that thing still around? I don't need no, no, to no. delete so, that off my website. <laughs> there, no, 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 there was. All right, you had these flow charts in there. Yeah. All right, that were. They, they were amazing because I was, the system, like you said, it's medium crunch. This is something that, you know, you got, you got to read and try to understand. But I, you had these flow charts with icons in them. And I read those first. I was like, oh, I understand this now. Is this, are you, is this something that you're kind of carrying over into second edition? Very, very much so. I found that those flow charts that I had, which is, so just for our listeners. Yeah. It's basically you have open up a page, like here's how to make a skill roll. The left side page might be explaining the rules. And then the right side will be this one page giant flowchart diagram. And it's just saying it's a little icon, the little summary text, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And I do that for, you know, skill rolls, attack rolls, damage. Here's how to make an item. A lot of the key sort of ideas are fragged. And I found... For me as a graphic designer, this felt an obvious design choice because I thought, well, this will make it so much easier to digest. It makes the book look prettier. This is a good thing. But then I discovered this is not something anybody else does. And so I, uh, I, I found that, that resonated really well with people. And I also did another thing that really resonated with people is on the back of my books, I have these little icons that basically says, here are the major points of this setting and rules. And I dot point them out with a little picture and people really like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's nice. It's nice that I'm sort of, I feel like I'm pushing the RPG scene just a little bit forward in how it communicates things. And I, I like it when I see stuff like that that I've done in other RPG books and I'd like to see more of it. Yeah, no, I would absolutely, as somebody who just, I, I do have problems sometimes digesting information, dyslexia and whatnot. And it's very much like that flow chart was, I was like, more people need to do this. It was so, uh, so good. All right. So I'm glad you're keeping that. All right. So you talked about something then. All right. So RPG scene and the industry and whatnot. So I wanted to ask you then. What's it? What is this? What's the RPG scene like in Australia? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I feel incredibly uh, unqualified to really comment on it. But no, I, I feel like I'm not as plugged in as I could be. Comments, um, because as somebody from the US, I have no idea what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah. Look, we have. We have a bunch of little little conventions. I know here in my st- in, in my state of Victoria, and uh, they were just like little fun ones where people come up and play RPGs and board games and war games and stuff like that. And our big one is PAX. We have at the end of the year where everyone turns up for that. Apart from that, you're talking to, walk into any game store and it's predom- pre- predominantly dominated by D and D. Like D and D, that is. That is the giant fish in the pond. And I'm okay with that. Um, and then around the edge, you do have little sparks of indie stuff going on, um, but not. I don't feel like people are aware of them as much as I feel like they could be. And I look forward to that growing in the future. Um, okay. This awareness of what's going on. And 
Yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. It does. But, it does. Because all I, because yeah. really, I mean, it just kind of talks about the, how things are so global. All, because all I really know really about the Australia scene is that everything is super expensive to ship there from so when it comes to your stuff you're in australia it's going you're going the other way what's it like as a designer in australia trying to do this big kickstarter and do a on a at a global scale what's that look like for you i think this is one of the advantages that i've got having had my business for about eight years now and building up connections and figuring out stuff like that like that's the boring stuff about being an RPG designer, especially if you're self-published like me, is figuring out warehouses and tax and shipping and things like that. But by figuring that stuff out, it makes my game more accessible to a wider audience. Um, And so I have a warehouse in the USA and another one in the UK, and they help me with a lot with that. And they basically store my goods. They do the Kickstarter fulfillment. I'm also partnered up with Modifius, who are in the UK, and they're really helpful for giving advice. I know that they, they predominantly do their own thing these days, but Chris Birch, who runs that company, he's super nice guy and he's always been available to give me advice to sort of point me in the right direction um, on that stuff. In terms of my audience, I find that a third's in Australia, a third's in the US and a third's in Europe. Um, my biggest, most dedicated audiences are I found in Australia and Europe particularly, I, I, I don't feel like I've actually breached the USA anywhere near to what I can, um, especially given your population size and the amount that I have from there. Um, oddly enough, my game is very popular in Germany. So there's something about the Germans who really like my game. Like maybe it's the mechanical tightness of it or something, but I feel like I'm going to accidentally stumble into some sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, something going on there. They like what I do. Yeah, no, it's interesting. The U.S. market is very obviously, like everywhere else, just dominated so much by D&D and established U.S. designers and companies. And we are starting to see a large penetration from the European market now. Yes. So I've over into the that. U.S. So it's, I mean, I was telling you beforehand, uh, Fragged Empire was, uh, this was my first time hearing about it, thanks to some folks in our Discord who were like, hey, this is cool check this out. So yeah, no, it's interesting. I think this is a game that people definitely need to check out. And yeah, like you were saying with the Modifius stuff, I know that they've done this partnership with lots of other, like I think of a black boy, they did some partnership with them and then same thing oh, yeah. with, with Nibiru. So they've, so that's cool. Uh, you've got this kind of partnership there. So then let's talk about the Kickstarter then. All right. Yep. So uh, talked about what Fragged Empire second edition is. So uh, obviously, when you're list- listeners, when you're listening to this now, the Kickstarter is running. So wait, what is the Kickstarter for and what are people getting from it? Okay. So firstly, the Kickstarter is going nuts. Uh, yeah, we got, it is. We, we got funded in six hours and where I'm just looking at this now is $160,000 Australian dollars at the moment, which blows my mind. Um, so I'm very, very happy with how that's going. And people should really jump on there, have a look what I've got, watch my video. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of money on that video. I want people to go watch it. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Um, predominantly, so it's for a rule book and a setting guidebook. We did have a stretch goal where we've done a third book, which is a location guidebook. So lots of planets and stuff in there. But if you're wanting to play Fragged I, and you're wanting to just jump in, I would jump in either at the, um, and this is in Australian dollars, by the way, so not worth as much as American dollars. I would jump in for either the $40 pledge level. That gets you both of those core PDF books plus a bunch of extras um, or $150 for a physical copy of the two books. Um, And, of course, you can go more for that if you want the third book or some other stuff, you know. Um, And... uh, yeah, that's, that's 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 kind of what I'm doing. I'm trying to do a very clean Kickstarter, like not a lot of frills. I'm not focusing on stretch goals um, and very much here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to do the best I can. They're basically finished already. 
Um, if I get extra money, here's how I hope to spend it and not, you know, just sort of hoping, asking people to sort of trust me on that front rather than, you know, doing the whole hype machine thing. But anyway, I, I'm rambling now. I'm rambling. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, no, I think this is good. All right, US, US listeners, uh, that's $110 for two high quality books. That is, that's good. That's, I mean, are these, that's, are these are really, really good books. Like these are beautiful books. Uh, I'm a super proud of them. So I, I love the, all right. So design choice question covers, they're very minimal. Like um, the, the, the art, as far as the art is not minimal. Like there's, there's great mm -hmm. art, but like as far as logos and whatnot, it's very, you're, you're allowing the art to really be showcased here. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I wanted to do. So if you look at my covers, you know, quite minimalistic, non-obtrusive in terms of logos. Um, and on the back, which I'm going to do, this is something I'm excited. The funds we raised allow are going to allow me to do this, hopefully. 99% sure I can do this. Okay. Is I'm actually going to have bare backs. No barcodes, no logos, no blurbs, no pictures of the book. And what I'm going to do is the books will be wrapped in plastic shrink wrap. I'm going to have a loose piece of paper on the back that has all that sales pitchy stuff. So it can sit, still go to a store and people can pick it up and know what the hell it is. But once you buy it, you can take that out, put it in the bin, and you just have a beautiful, it looks like an art book type of cover. That type of thing I'm going for. It does. Also, I love how your rules book and your setting book are both the same location, but at different times or seasons. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm having a bit of fun with the front cover. And I now, so what I've done is so that the setting book has this beautiful green field with a giant robot head of like a dead robot. And the, the, the PCs are on top having a picnic. It's kind of friendly and charming and it's sort of hinting at the heart. At the of, of the setting, then the next the rule book is the same location, but yes. it's snowing, and the PCs are all fighting off a bunch of alien dogs. And my third book, which I haven't designed the cover for yet, um, here's what I'm going to do for that one. Same scene again, but I'm going to like have a different color. I'm thinking maybe flowers or something, make it red. And there, um, the PCs are going to have um, the, the the robot opened up with wires coming out in a computer like they're like hacking it and exploring it and the idea is to show the different core tones of fragged there's heart there's social interaction that sort of that sort of side of stuff there's combat there's fighting and then there's exploration and science and discovery and that's that's what i'm hoping to show through these three books and having a little fun with it doing something a little different um, i think a lot of tabletop rpg books can look a little samey sometimes. So I, yeah, trying to mix it up. I, I, I'm not one to, you know, to, to mince words. They do look samey. So, <laughs> so no, I appreciate it. So, all right. So as we start to close out, mm -hmm. this, is, this is your last chance. All right. What is the, what is, what's your last kind of uh, pitch here for Fragged Empire? Second edition. My, my big pitch. Yeah. Look, if you're a person who likes quality and depth in your RPG, the sort of thing that's going to be really satisfying and feel fresh to read and look into, and the sort of game that you could enjoy playing and looking into for a long time, Frag's good for you. You know, if you want something that's not just another rehashing of a giant IP that's been out forever, or something that's shallow, and you want something that's original and deep, I think Frag's a very good fit for you. And triply so if you like something that's sort of medium crunch. Like if you can handle Pathfinder and D&D, &D, you'll handle these rules just fine. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Wade, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, man, I'm on uh, Facebook. Just look for Fragged Empire. I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, I've, oh, my Discord. I have a very big Discord channel. If you go to fragdempire.com, my website, you'll find a link to the Discord there. Very active Discord community if you're into that as well. Awesome. Well, wait, thanks so much for joining me here tonight. I'm glad that I got to learn more about this game that just, it looks great. 
it sounds great. And I really do hope that uh, our listeners will go check it out. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. So listeners, as always, this is Tom uh, with Show and Tell. And uh, yeah, go check out Fragged Empire. Second edition will include all those links in the show notes. It's on Kickstarter now. And if it's this is the future, uh, I'm sure Wade has that somewhere on his website. (laughs) So (laughs) absolutely. So uh, don't forget, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.